Please join me in praying. Heavenly Father, please open your word to us. Whatever it is that we are going through in our lives, would you speak? Would you let our hearts and minds be open and receptive to your spirit? that we might be equipped and encouraged in all areas of our lives to live kingdom first, every day of every week of every year, for your honor and glory. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. I want to welcome you to this Super Bowl Sunday. Glad you're here. Glad the Super Bowl is late so that you would be here. Although, if you were like me, Typically, every year, my wife looks forward to the commercials, and I look forward to the game. This year's different. Man, I tell you, there are only two teams that I really don't like in the NFL, and they are playing each other today. I don't know how that happened, but I, but I have decided I'm going to root. I, I've discovered who I'm rooting for, and I'm going to share it with you, and I'm going to encourage you to root along with me for this team. Today, I am rooting for the defense on both teams. My hope is a 0-0 score, the worst Super Bowl ever. That's what I'm going for. Somehow, I want the Patriots to lose and the Eagles to lose both. So I'm just, whenever there's an interception, I'm rooting, whatever team that's for. If there's a sack, I am rooting, whatever team that's for. I'm all defense today. I wish we could control more than we can actually control. I mean, as sports fans, we don't recognize sometimes how little control we have. We've got all of these rituals, all these things that we do. You know, game day, you gotta wear a certain thing, eat a certain thing, all because you're gonna make your team win somehow by your ritual. I can tell you that if I had any control, the Super Bowl would be very different today. It would not be these two teams, but, just don't have that control. Do you know that even players have all these rituals? I mean, players actually, they practice, and they work out, and they do all of these things that does have some impact on the game, but still, there's rituals. Some of them are interesting. Jason Terry, former Dallas Maverick, used to sleep in the opponent's shorts the night before. That was his ritual to make sure they win. Brian Erlacher, he was a linebacker for Chicago. He used to eat Girl Scout cookies before the game, but just two of them. What? Only two, and always two, because that's time and everything. I mean, even these, even these guys that like, they put all the effort and the time and everything, there's still, there's these rituals, because here's what we know. There's just things that we can't control. There are outcomes that no matter how much we do, we lack a control over them. And, but we want to control them. We want to know. We want to force that outcome somehow. I know that today, looking out over this congregation, I know there are people that are anxious, people that are stressed, because there are things that you cannot control that you want to control. I know a good friend of mine right now is desperately looking for a job so they can stay in this area. 
I know there's a handful of families, if not more, there are serious medical conditions either in your immediate family or your extended family. And you want to somehow force that outcome. I know there's simpler things. Maybe it's a child that you're just having a struggle with right now. Can't get them to listen. And you wish you could. But there's so many aspects of life where we can only do so much. We can only go so far until it's, I just can't do anymore. Doesn't stop us from trying, but we can't do anymore. I would suggest to you, and maybe it's just me, when I get in those situations, I think one of the biggest things I do, one of my greatest rituals, is to stress out. That's what I do. I dwell on all of the things I can't do anything about. I dwell on all the ways I wish I could change it or how I think I can change it, and I just have all this anxiety. What do we do about all the things that we can't control? What do we do about the outcomes that we can't force? That's what we want to talk about today. Open up your Bible, if you would, to Mark chapter 1. We're following up from last week. Jesus was in the synagogue last week in Capernaum. He was teaching. His teaching was so powerful that they were blown away by it. There were so many amens going on, they'd never heard so many on a particular Sabbath day. And he showed his power by casting a demon out. Now, you can imagine, okay, this is the Sabbath they would be leaving the synagogue and going home to have a Sabbath meal. That's where they'd be heading. They just had the most amazing church experience ever. They are smiling. They are joking. They are happy. They are in awe of this man that is their teacher, and they're heading home to have a Sabbath meal. What a great day that is. Verse 29. And immediately, he left the synagogue, entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Got a few of his disciples. They head over to the home of Simon and Andrew. You can see this home today if you go to Israel, go into Capernaum. They're going to this area. They're going to this home. And they're expecting, as they walk into the courtyard, to smell bread to know that something is, like, the meal's being prepared. We're going to have the Sabbath meal. But when they come in, there's nothing. Something is wrong. What should have happened is not happening. So they head in, verse 30. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. How many of you had a fever recently? I mean, all the, all the flu and everything going on. Um, fevers can be minor or awful, right? You can kind of just have a, a low-grade fever and feel a little bad, or you can have the chills and you're sweating and it's horrible and you can't sleep. In the ancient world, they really did not understand fevers. The belief was the fever was an internal fire, quite often caused in some way by the gods. And this isn't just Judaism. This is across the board. There's a Roman god of fevers just to help with fevers. It was something to do with either your sin, and so there's a punishment involved, 
or something is wrong and you're still getting this by the God and the fever is just like today. It might just be you have a fever for a couple of days and it goes away or it might last for weeks or months and you could die from it. They were serious. And here's what they did to treat them. By the way, they had no concept that this could be your body reacting to fight off sickness. Um, It was the thing they were dealing with. And they would deal with it anywhere between something like taking a sponge, getting it wet with some cool water, and just trying to make the fever go down on somebody. They had a, a practice of warming the body so much that you would sweat more, and you'd get rid of the fever that way. You'd sweat the fever out. They would pray. They would do magical incantations to make it go away. Those were normal reactions to get rid of fevers. Here's what happens. These guys come back from the synagogue. They're excited. They're going to have the Sabbath meal. They're going to hang out with Jesus. And they come in and something is wrong. Mom was okay when they left. Now they walk into the home, probably a pretty small home, two bedrooms at the most, but enough to separate it because when they first walk in, they have to go to her. They find her. Here she is. She's laid out. It's bad enough that she's not making a meal. She's not doing anything. She's probably shaking. What do you do? And this is where things change. They have a reaction that is not normal. On any other day, I guarantee you one of those various things we just talked about would have happened. They'd have run, they'd have grabbed a a sponge or a washcloth, and they'd have tried to cool her down. They would have started praying for it. They would have ran out and got the village physician and said, she is down and she is so hot, we need you to help her. Something like the normal reaction. It's not what they do this time. Here's what they do this time. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately... They told him about her. They go to Jesus. They just watch this guy teach like nobody they've ever seen before. They've just watched him cast a demon out with a word. No no incantations, no rituals, no magic wand, nothing. Just come out of him. That's it. And so... Here's the fever, and they go, wait a minute, we have Jesus. I mean, like, he's got to be able to do something about this. And so they go and they tell him. That's not the normal reaction on any normal day. But it is today because Jesus is here. Here's the truth. And by the way, unfortunately for me, maybe for you, the truth does not always impact me in the way that it should. But here's the truth. Jesus changes every equation. Every equation is I don't always factor him in. In fact, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure if I were in this story, it would look differently. I think this is what I would have done. See, here's what they do. They immediately go and tell Jesus about her, and then he comes he takes her by the hand, and I, and I imagine, do um, you know what it's like when you're burning up, and then somebody touches you, and you feel the cool of their skin, and it's just, it's like, oh, 
I can imagine him, she is burning up and he reaches out and he touches her. Lifts her by the hand, lifts her up and the fever is gone. Here's what I think would have happened. I would have seen her, I would have gone, Jesus. I would have, hey Jesus, she's sick. And then I would have run back to her with my sponge and started doing what I always do. I'd have treated it like any other thing. I told him, but now I'm gonna do what I always do. That's my problem in so much of my Christian life. I pray, and I even ask others to pray for me. I just don't know that it makes much of a difference for me because I live as if nothing's gonna happen. I live as if he's not listening to me. I do things normally after I bring it to him. Back when my daughter was four years old, we lived in a home that had this big, beautiful tree in the backyard. And every fall, just leaves coming down. Wonderful, beautiful. And one morning, during the fall, while all these leaves are scattered everywhere, I come and I'm looking out the window, the, the sliding glass door window. My daughter, my four-year-old daughter, is out there with a rake that's twice her height, trying to rake the leaves into a pile. It's not working real well. You can imagine a four-year-old trying to do this. And so I open up the door, and I say, honey, do you want some help? Now, you also probably know four-year-olds if you've ever had them. No, I can do it myself. Okay. So I just stand and I watch for a while. And she is not doing, she's not having a lot of success. I mean, she's doing the best she can, but her piles... Every time she rakes into it, she pretty much just rakes the whole pile, and it just falls. And so finally, after, I don't know how long she did this, she looks up and sees me, and she says, okay, Daddy, I want your help. So I walk over, all right, sweetie, and I go to grab the rake. She's like, no, 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 don't grab the rake. I, I know what I want you to do. Okay, I want you to stand right here. Okay, so I walk over, I'm standing right underneath the big tree. She said, now, Daddy, when a leaf falls out of the tree, you catch it. <laughs> and then you give that to me. That's what you want to use me for. I mean, that, that's... So I stood there for a while, and, you know, it's... but is that not what I do with God all the time? That, 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 that's... Here's this big thing going on in my life, and yes, I ask for help but I don't give anything over to him. I don't actually let him take it. I essentially go, here's this little aspect of it, you take care of that, I'm still gonna hold on to all of this. And I know I'm doing it because my anxiety level is through the roof. Because I'm not feeling that peace of God that surpasses understanding. No, I'm feeling utter stress and freaking out. I have prayed, I've asked God into the equation, but I've given him this little tiny position over here to catch a leaf or two as it falls out of the tree while I do the heavy lifting. It doesn't work very well. I am not really letting go. Here's my, my challenge for myself. The kingdom of God is present, but am I present to the kingdom of God? 
am I truly aware that God is working? Do I listen to those words that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? Do not be anxious about your life, for your heavenly Father knows what you need already. Do I hear those words and actually let them come in and go, yes? Or do I hear them and go, okay, I'm going to set those over here while I continue to do exactly what Jesus said not to do? He said, seek the kingdom, let me worry about the other things. He said, you can't affect those things. Basically, the way I handle most of the stress in my life is not unlike the rituals that people do for game days. That's how much impact it actually has on the circumstance. And yet I keep doing it. And Jesus said it 2,000 years ago. You can't change it. Why do you keep trying? Why will you not trust me with it? I care for you. It was a lesson that the disciples eventually learned. I think they started learning it all the way through the ministry, even in this account right here, where they come to this fever, instead of doing the normal thing, they go to Jesus, and they let him do something. But all the way through the ministry, you'll see them, all of their imperfections, all of their going back to normal. There's a point where they're in a boat, and a storm is raging, Jesus is asleep, and what do they do? The normal reaction, wake up, we're going to die! which is exactly what most of us would have done, right? Or when things turn and they go really south and Jesus is arrested, what do they do? They run. They flee the authorities. They are afraid. Normal reaction, right? And when they have an opportunity, they deny Jesus because it's scary to be associated with the one who's getting ready to be condemned. Guess what happens at the resurrection? When the women come back and they say he's been risen, the men are like, you're nuts. What have you been smoking this morning? Dead men don't rise. Normal reaction. It's all normal. Can I tell you the kingdom of God is anything but normal? If the kingdom of God is present, that is the normal. And what happens after the resurrection and after the spirit of God descends upon them, you start reading in Acts, Guess what? They aren't afraid of the authorities anymore. I mean, they stand up to the authorities. And when the authorities say, we're going to throw you in prison if you keep preaching, they go, we have to keep preaching anyway. We're not going to stop. And you know what? When they get thrown in prison, you know what they're doing? They're singing. They're singing praises. How abnormal is that? How many times do you walk around a prison and see people singing praises to God? And when they're suffering, they start going, we're rejoicing because God is working. His plan's being fulfilled. None of that is normal. That's not normal reactions. Those are kingdom reactions. Those are taking seriously that he is the risen Lord, that he rules the universe. And we live under his kingship as his people that are loved and cared for. That's what they're doing. It's what changes in them. And it's not just the disciples. Real people do this. Francis Habergale 
was born in 1836. At four years old, she began to memorize the Bible. At seven, she started writing poetry. She would go on to learn multiple languages, including Greek and Hebrew. And yet, she was very frail in health. She would die at 42. But she would live her life as smart as she was, as she was a great pianist and singer, as talented as she was, she had a very simple faith, and she just wanted to serve, and the faith was very real. This is uh, from uh, Francis. There were 10 persons in the house. She'd gone to visit this home. Some were unconverted and long prayed for, some were converted, but they were not rejoicing Christians. And God gave me this prayer. Lord, give me all in this house. And that's what he did. Before I left the house, everyone had gotten a blessing. The last night of my visit, I was too happy to sleep. I passed most of the night in renewal of my consecration to God. And those little couplets, those are the hymns, Little couplets formed themselves and chimed in my heart one after another until they finished with this line, only, ever only, all for thee. One of the most famous hymns we have, we still sing today, Take My Life and Let It Be, written today in 1874, February 4th. But it wasn't just for her. It wasn't just a song. It wasn't just words she said. Like, she lived that. She also wrote another hymn. Um, you'll recognize this. Um, well, I'm sorry, this is out of the same thing. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. You know that line? In 1878, four years after the hymn, she wrote to a friend. She said this, the Lord has shown me another little step, and of course I've taken it with extreme delight. Take my silver and my gold now means shipping off all of my ornaments to the church missionary house, including a jewel cabinet that's really fit for a countess, where it all will be accepted. Nearly 50 articles are being packed up, and I don't think I ever packed a box with such pleasure. This woman, she believed this stuff. She didn't just write the song. She lived her life this way. She didn't want to withhold anything from God because she believed it was all his. When she said, take my life and let it be, she meant take my life and let it be. It's the best possible thing that could happen to me. You. That's the invitation that we have in the Christian life to actually let go, to actually leave things with him. I get personal with you guys now and then, and I want to do so now. I have struggled with this all my Christian life. I became a believer when I was 17 years old, 44 now. I've struggled with it all my life. I have felt myself at times, as I described to my wife the other day, like I was walking up to a line, and my toes were at the line, and I could, I could 
taste what it would be like to know that peace that goes beyond understanding because I actually let go. I give it, gave it to him. I didn't pray and then hold on to it. I didn't say, God, come into my life, but go stand under that tree and catch leaves. I actually said, here's the rake and do what you will. And I trusted that my heavenly father would do the best possible thing because he's my heavenly father. But so little have I ever stepped over that line. So few times have I really felt that just, he's got it. I don't even know what he's going to do, but he has it. And I'm going to rejoice and let it go. It happened one time through our daughter's cancer. There was a point where it just got so rough that I finally realized through personal experience when Jesus said, you can't change it. I can't change it. The only thing I can do is say, God, here. And that song, Take My Life and Let It Be, that was one of them. But recently, I have recognized how much of a struggle the church plant has been in my life. Anybody who started a business or who runs a business, you know how stressful it is. You know how hard it is to get something going or to keep something going. You know how hard it is when it kind of relies on basically everybody else. There's only so much you can control. Like you have to get the customers in somehow, but you can't force them. You do your best and you, you hope and you pray and, and yet you stress so much with the ups and downs month to month as money comes in or doesn't come in, as a new client comes or doesn't come, as somebody leaves. And man, for the last five years, I have been a bundle of anxiety multiple times. Because everything I do, and just hear me, because what I'm about to say is not true, but it has been my truth. Everything relies on everybody out here. Whether or not we succeed, whether or not the campaign succeeds, all of it. It's whether or not people give, whether people come. So what do you think happens when a new person joins the church? I'm not only happy that somebody has come in, I'm like, yes, we're gonna make it longer. Guess what happens when somebody leaves? Oh man, the church is gonna fail. I mean, it's like this up and down emotional roller coaster because my truth for a lot of the last five years, it's not every day, but a lot of the last five years has been, it's based on what people do. And I can't control that. I have been told that when you start a capital campaign, it can definitely have an impact on your congregation. Mostly positive as people pull together, but some people will not like it, and you may lose folks. That's scary, losing folks. Well, this whole week, God has been working on my heart in a way that I've needed for five years. I've needed for my entire Christian life. But he has been working on me in a way. All these phrases, like um, there's, a, there's a, a phrase in Isaiah not by might, not by power, not, uh, sorry, not by horses, not by chariots, but by my power. And I've said that. I've even sang it. There's an old 80s uh, Hosanna song. I've even sang it. But I don't think I've believed it. Because I haven't let go. The last few days have been some of the most peaceful days I have had in a decade, 
I feel guilty, honestly. I feel like I must not be taking things seriously enough or I'd be more stressed out, right? But as I told my wife, I pray to God this happens. And I think every morning she asks me, so how are you feeling now? <laughs> and and that's, a, that's a legitimate question because at any moment I feel like I can just let it go. But like, church, it's freaking amazing when you give it to God. It just, because you know what? Everything else is still true. If a bunch of people leave, it might impact the church. If a bunch of people come, it might impact the church. But you know what? God is in charge of this church. And if it's going to make it, it's because of him. Not because of me, not because of you, because of him. What we do is exactly what Lori said. We get the privilege of participating in what God is doing. That is what I want. That is what we're offered in Jesus. Not just that the kingdom is present, but that we are present to the kingdom. Recognizing it's here and saying, Lord, I don't even know what you have. I don't know how you're going to rake those leaves up. I wanted one big giant pile. You might do like five little ones. I don't know what you're going to do. But I'm going to trust you. And oh my goodness, can it just lift it off your shoulders. Let's trust him because he can do far more than we can ask or imagine. And you and I are so dang limited at times. <laughs> Let us trust him. Pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, give us that kind of faith. Help us to not just pray and take things back, but let it go. Truly trust you with it. Be open to what you want from us. Trust you as our loving, heavenly Father over and over again in your word. As you say to us, you care for us. Lord, let us trust that so that we can have the peace that is also promised in your word. And we can live differently because of it having kingdom reactions to everything in life and giving you the glory while we enjoy the freedom of the people of God. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.